I personally believe that the tide is shifting within zoological institutions or it needs to shift if we want to be relevant and meaningful and attended by our public in 15 or 20 years. And if you're an institution that is not prioritizing those efforts pointed towards that either, again, conservation, resiliency of natural spaces and that kind of thing, then, then I think that the, the, the visiting public 15, 20 years from now are, are, are not going to be attending and visiting. This episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Tidal Influence, a Californian ecological consulting firm who proudly supports environmental education and all of the diverse conservation efforts that Pelicanus works to highlight. Visit their website at tidalinfluence.com to learn more about what they do to conserve our coastal resources and how you can get involved. On this episode of Conservation Conversations, we talked to Brett Long of the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach, California. This episode is the kickoff of a short series we will be doing over the coming months to highlight the Aquarium of the Pacific conservation initiatives in Southern California. From otters to frogs, Aquarium of the Pacific is undertaking some amazing projects to help create coastal ecological resiliency. Enjoy our conversation with Brett and look out for the episodes on their work coming soon. Brett, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you don't mind, can you just uh, talk a little bit about who you are and what you do for the aquarium? Sure. Um, uh, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Brett Long. I'm the Senior Director of Birds and Mammals here at the Aquarium of the Pacific. And functionally, I work with a team of people that is responsible for sort of animal welfare and care, uh, primarily with our bird, mammal, and amphibian species. Um, you know, a, a lot of that time is, is is really just spent working with that team to, to ensure that we're doing everything right by the animals that, that are in our care. Um, as part of that, I, I get to or I certainly get a lot of support to sort of pursue some of our local conservation initiatives and, and hope to sort of increase the value of zoos and aquariums in that conservation space. Yeah, and that's that's really what we want to talk about because we love that you guys have the animals there and you can go look at them. But if you want to hear more about that side of things, you can listen to Aquarium of the Pacific, your guys' podcast about it goes way into more uh, way more into that side of things. But we want to talk about your guys' conservation initiatives. So can you kind of just give us a quick overview about what AOP, uh, what you guys do for conservation in the region, whether that's the LA area or Southern California or, or wherever you guys work? You know, um, historically, our, our conservation efforts have been um, sort of organically fostered by or grown by individual staff members here at the aquarium. And so it's, it's often that a, a staff person uh, has a particular passion or learns about a particular project and then sort of brings it back to the aquarium as a, hey, can we be a part of this? Or this would be a great initiative to be a part of. Um, I, I think that we probably had a lot, 
uh, several of our programs that sort of have some broad reach or geographically broad reach, given something associated with the Pacific Ocean, but often it was at some distance. In the last several years, I think we've been trying to really prioritize more regional specific projects that, that are, whether that region be the California coastline or more specifically the Southern California area. And again, the, the projects that we're currently involved in, um, some of them, uh, the abalone or the white abalone project, we've actually been involved with in well over a decade. Um, some of our newer ones, whether it be the mountain yellow-legged frog or some uh, speculative work with snowy plovers in this area have been uh, a lot newer and have just been sort of developed over the last couple of years. Um, and then one of the things that has been fortunate is that, that we noticed that although it was not purposeful at the time, that several of these projects really started to tie back to sort of the conservation of the sort of kelp forest or kelp forest and eelgrass sort of ecosystem. And so, you know, our, our initiatives that we're spending the most time investing in, again, whether that's sort of boots on the ground, staff working on it, or actual monetary investments, are surrounding white abalone, southern sea otters, mountain yellow-legged frogs, and then also a kelp gametophyte project that we're sort of like a genetic repository for, in particular, bull kelp off our coastline because it's seen such a decline. Um, but they all just tie together in that sort of near coastal kelp forest sort of ecosystem type things. I think that's what I found so interesting about talking to everybody, uh, you guys as staff, was the connection between the programs. But what I found interesting was the connection between the species. So a lot of these species, aside from the mountain yellow-legged frog, uh, it's a little bit of an it, outlier, a personal yeah, passion, but an outlier. Yes. A little bit. But uh, what I liked is about, you know, is the programs all tie into each other because the species interact with each other. And I think that was what was so cool about it is if you look at the ecology of coastal California, all of these species kind of live in the same area or if not mm -hmm. the you know, very near area. So altogether, these four projects all work towards coastal resiliency. And I love that. I love that that you guys are doing that. Is there was there a thought behind that? Was there a, a, a master plan, or was it kind of well, just like? I, I wish I could tell you that was the case, right? That, that yeah. we sat down several years ago and said, "Hey, we're going to start at the sort of overarching, and then find these projects or these species that fit into that." And and it it, it is that's not how it developed here. I, I think that that certainly we are fortunate, and that these project are extremely interconnected so it becomes the story that we can tell that that i mean part of the story to me is that it, it just sort of happened and i and i actually think that can be a little compelling like hey some very passionate people that came into this from different angles and look how we've now managed to sort of weave this together and that's helping us sort of guide our forward momentum like okay now we've realized that we've got three or four projects that certainly relate to each other and then therefore, as we invest our, our limited calories, because there's a limit no matter how you look at it, let's let's ensure that we add them to or sort of point them towards those interconnected projects. And so uh, I, I mean, I'm certainly loved that that's what's happened. And I think that it's going to help us guide in our sort of decision making and where we invest going forward. But but it was not purposeful at its inception. 
You know, I think that sometimes that's a better way to go because say someone at the aquarium had that idea uh, of like, hey, we're going to do all four species all at once. We're going to work on coast resiliency. We got to figure this out. That's a harder pitch to donate donors and funders and, you know, higher ups. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I think it's a harder pitch initially or one one that someone might steer away from because it feels so large. Like, wow, that's a major impact. How do we how do we create, you know, get involved in that? How do we start that? And in this particular case, we invested in these, each of these projects a little independent of each other. And now, because we can wrap it together, it, it, it's an easier story to tell. And it shows that we can take small initiatives and, and invest in them and that they will sort of magnify and magnitude into a much larger process or a much larger thing. Yeah. I think it would have been a hard sell three or four years ago to say, hey, let's, point all our point all our money towards this big thing but now that we have these projects that that are interweaving so nice that it, it's been it, it's it's easier for me to tell like if i am asked to show a potential donor around or a vip or heck when i have the opportunity to just pull a guest off the the visitor floor and, and walk them through like you get to touch on each one of those projects and i think the person goes away with just like wow like we can make a difference. No, that's exactly right. And what I also like about it is if you just said, did decide to just like, Hey, we're going to do all this at once. You kind of can step on toes and you guys mm -hmm. have built these really great partnerships with so many people and so many organizations that I, that's one of the things I loved about talking to all the staff was just like, yeah, we do this, but it's in conjunction with Monterey Bay mm -hmm. Aquarium, the Fish and Wildlife Service. And I just, Based off of our conversations we've had with people uh, all over the world, almost no one does it alone. Every once in a while, there's someone like, hey, I just started this and no one really cared. And so I just kept doing it. And then now they've built this awesome thing, but no one does it alone. And I think that I, certainly my growth in this area over my career, I, I, I don't find as much value in it when I try to do it alone either. Like in the end, I very much feel so much more you know our our parts certainly are a heck of a lot more than the sum of those parts right like when we put that together i, I think it's amazing and and being able to to work with those again agencies stakeholders as the, this networked partnership we can take it so much further i mean all of us have things to add to these projects and, and being able to sort of layer it and do that, I, I think is, is what's going to lead towards these sort of major successes on these larger initiatives. You know, I won't, I'm not going to ask you to give us any details about any of the five programs, uh, just because if anyone wants to hear about that, they can listen to it over the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do kind of want to talk about what uh, what's in store for the future. Like, what's next? Like, you know, we've got these programs and some of them are, are small and in their infancy and they're looking to go big. But are you are you guys thinking about bigger reach, more more initiatives here locally, you know, and may, maybe you don't even know. No, I, 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 I can't say that I know. I, I certainly, you know, this institution is, is in the middle of a, of a, a large strategic planning process, um, which I think is fantastic. Uh, many of us have probably been involved in those over our career and some can be very like 
inspiring and this is fantastic and then that follow through can be challenging and I, and I think that these smaller projects have gained so much traction in our local community and our local networks that it's helping elevate conservation even more into that medium and long-term planning and strategic planning and so I, I don't know that had we had this strategic process five years ago when functionally we were only doing one of these initiatives, I, I'm, I'm quite certain that that would not have helped sort of drive that and lift that up to being one of the prominent things that we want to define ourselves as. Um, you know, and so some of this is, again, on a personal note or I mean, semi-professional note, I want zoos and aquariums to be not only perceived as more relevant to conservation, but actually a part of those efforts. Um, and, 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 I, and I think that this is where that starts. And, and, and because whether that's, a, you know, they're sort of these homegrown initiatives that you, you start going so you can just tell this compelling story and, and then you sort of pivot that or add that to, hey, as a, as a state, a country, a world, we're coming out of this very challenging process surrounding COVID. And like, even in spite of that, we can be working on these things and making a difference. And, and now to see that elevate into our long-term plans and actually going, we would like our organization to be viewed as a conservation organization, not just an educational facility or just a family entertainment facility. I mean, those are, all have value and we need to have all those married together. But I, I, I think that you know, it's allowing us to sort of put together sort of that vision. And, and even in terms of where we've sort of brought in additional leadership in just the last few years, at a time where it's hard to expand a lot of things, uh, you know, the, the first position that that our new CEO brought in was a vice president of conservation education. And I think that's just really starting to highlight where that priority needs to be in. And, and so it's, good timing in that respect. I, I think that we've created this sort of fan base, for lack of a better word, that is, is really interested in these uh, smaller conservation initiatives and then seeing how we can just package into this. So uh, it, it's certainly helping us as an institution sort of guide our thought processes as to how we'd like to contribute or how we'd like to be thought of or seen as. Yeah, and that's definitely something we've... Uh... I don't know what you want to call it reported on, but we've definitely highlighted in some of our episodes with zoos and aquariums throughout the entire world, actually, is this movement of zoos and aquariums going from being a zoo and aquarium that does conservation to being a conservation organization that is partly funded or mostly funded by a zoo and sure. aquarium. And that's what, what I love about what you guys are doing is you're setting up that infrastructure so these things can grow organically, like you mentioned, with these programs we have. Because if you hadn't done that, then if a conservation issue arose in your area, you, it would be a whole like, oh, we got a shift to do this. But you've already made that shift. That's what's yeah, so Or cool. we wouldn't even be invited in because you're not recognized right. as that, that resource. You know, I, I mean, big picture to me, our, uh, the CFO that we had when I started here, I've loved working with him. I thought he was very, just a visionary person in that role, which I don't always see in that sort of sector, um, you know, sat down and one of the programs that we're doing, the Sea Otter Surrogacy program, I mean, that that's a, 
you know, over the course of five or six years, that's going to be a $1.5, $1.7 million initiative that we're, we're raising money to do. It's, it's not a small ask. Any, as a responsible financial person would ask, that, tell me what the return on the investment is on this. And I think that if someone asked me that 15 years ago, I would have been offended. Like, how can you put a, you know, a number on or that kind of thing? And I, and I, and I looked at him and I said, hey, I'm not going to be able to give you, hey, we invest 1.5 million. We're going to return 3.5 in this many years. But what I personally believe is, is that if we want to be a credible, well-attended, modern Zura Aquarium in 20 years, the conservation has to be at the forefront of our mission. And so do we want to be here in 20 years or not? That, to me, is the return on the investment of these initiatives right now. And, and, and I mean, I, I, we have a few years to see whether or not that is true in terms of, to more to your point, I personally believe that the tide is shifting within zoological institutions or it needs to shift if we want to be relevant and meaningful and attended by our public in 15 or 20 years. And if you're an institution that is not prioritizing those efforts pointed towards that either, again, conservation, resiliency of natural spaces and that kind of thing, then, then I think that the, the, the visiting public 15, 20 years from now are, are, are not going to be attending and visiting, so. I mean, you're just preaching the word, man. <laughs> it almost like it took me a second. I was just kind of sitting back going, oh, yeah, it, yes, yes. <laughs> I wanted to almost like put my hands up and hallelujah here because uh, it, it's just really fantastic, the perspective that you have. And and um, it's just really great to see, you know, the, the home the home aquarium uh, doing this kind of work and, and being really a leader in this. Um, so I really appreciate it. And, you know, one thing you kind of talked about is, you know, you mentioned talking to the CEO about how, how the AOP is going to look in 15, 20, 25 years. And we have these conversations a lot, obviously. And the quote I always think about is, is uh, I think it's, if I say it right, it's society grows when people plant trees that they will not enjoy the shade of. And so it's the kind of the same idea of what you guys are doing and building these things. So like in 25, 50 years, I hope you're retired. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> um, but you don't do that without some sort of hope that, you know, I, I've also heard another quote that like, planting a garden is like the most uh, optimistic thing you can do. Cause you're like, well, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I'm going right. to be here in three in two months when I can actually, uh, you know, reap the benefits. And so it's the same thing with what you guys are doing. So where does that optimism and that hope come from for you to where you say, Hey, yes, these are conservation problems, but here's what we're going to do about it. And in 25 years, we're going to have a program that is going to essentially potentially solve this problem. Well, I really liked, what you just said about like, again, for me, I want to be a part of something that certainly I'm not going to be around when that optimal impact manifests itself. It, it's that far away on, on a personal level. And it, it was absolutely related to one of the projects that we're currently investing in, which is the sea otter surrogacy program, you know, um, in the, in the mid-90s, I was working at a marine lab up at the Central Coastline 
with a professor that was studying harbor seal populations in that area. And one of the locations that that harbor seal haulouts was in this estuary and system that was fundamentally agricultural runoff at this point. So this is, I mean, this really only is, you know, 22, 25 years ago. And we, we were studying harbor seals. And my, again, I was the logistics guy. I'm, I'm there to drive the vessels, help capture the animal such that we can get samples from it and all that kind of stuff. You're crawling around in this just sludgy, anaerobic slough to study these megafauna, you know. And, um, and then, so I have these, I mean, I can still smell it. I just talk about it right now. I can still smell the, the rotten egg smell of going through this mud to get to these animals. It was not a pretty place. We were there for a different reason. It was not a pretty place. Um, it, this is Alcorn Slough, you know, uh, about 15, 18 years ago, Monterey Bay Aquarium started releasing a, appropriately releasable otters into that estuarian system mainly because it was logistically easy to monitor them and make sure that they were going to do. But then you go up to that space now, and I drive by it every time I'm in the Central Coast because I'm just stunned. It, it, the, the eelgrass beds are significantly restored within this estuarian system, and fundamentally it's because otters were put back in the system. Again, that wasn't the intent. The intent was this is a great location that we can release them sort of like a soft release and watch them and make sure that they reincorporate. But it worked and it did well. These otters multiplied into that system and then they started having the impact on that ecosystem that they're supposed to have. And the, the outcome of that is this restoration or restorative effort of these eelgrass beds that has now led to a place that is beautiful. And I mean, the ecotourism is thriving and you could take your kayak there and you just see these lush eelgrass beds all over the place. And I'm like, man, I finally found a story. Like, I, never, I all it is is doom and gloom, right? Like, we just see these things deteriorating around us. But yet, in, in my 25, 30 years of doing this, I actually get to see this one spot that went the opposite direction. And uh, and, and I think that's the, the, the it, it was inspiring for me. Like, I want to be a part of programs that do that. And it's actually tangible. Like, it literally happened in my space of my career. Um, now, granted, I think that the larger impact is going to take longer than my career. And right? I'm hopeful, too, that in 25 years that I'm no longer <laughs> working at the same pace that I'm working right now. But, um, I, you know, I, I, it was a roundabout way of sort of addressing what you were saying. But I, I just think that there are we can and, and should do these things because they can and will make a difference. Yeah. And one thing you just said was like, you said the, the larger, larger global um, movement will have, will take a little bit longer to have an impact. And that may be true, but one of the reasons why we started this is to talk about all the little people and on top of the, the all the, the large organizations, you sure, know, sure. and everything together, like, you know, you guys are doing this, the Monterey Bay, the scripts, these, and these are just aquariums just in California. But, yep. And if you expand that out, everyone together, there's, it's such a really cool movement. And then one also thing that uh, Taylor does at the beginning of our Pelicanus news episodes is he talks about how these are you know more recent stories about how conservation can work. And like you said, you just you saw it, it works. You put the time and effort into it. It can work. So um, and one thing I did also want to say is I know that smell 
of my flat. <laughs> but I don't know. Taylor might feel the same way. I get nostalgic when I smell it. Oh, it's it. super nostalgic it. to me. I, I mean, like it. it's there. And I get, oh yeah, hands down. Brett, you're amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Can uh, you share with our listeners, viewers, uh, how people in Southern California, Long Beach, get involved with AOP? Yeah, you know, I, I can. I, I, I think that without talking specific projects, there is just this. We are investing in this local community in the in these local sort of conservation initiatives and recognize that as a single institution, we, we certainly cannot even accomplish these smaller initiatives. And so we have started or re-implementing some community science efforts that, that members of the Long Beach community, Southern California community can, are certainly going to have the opportunity to come in and help us sort of implement those initiatives. And whether that's through sort of our green sea turtle monitoring projects, which is predominantly community science driven or community support driven or to a more recent one where we're working with different small areas within Long Beach that we're putting in pollinating gardens again with the intent that we're sort of starting those initiatives and, and writing for some small grants to help start but the, the only way that those things are going to be sustainable and maintained is to get the community rallied behind that and sort of supporting those efforts and I think that's really going to be what most of our projects have this opportunity for the general public to be a part of. And again, whether that's through some of our educational interpretive roles or some more hands-on with it without helping with these community gardens or as we move forward with our Sea Otter Seriously program, I mean, uh, the staffing for that program is going to be 50 to 60% volunteer based from our local community. So I think there are lots of opportunities for people to come involved and then just coming to the aquarium and supporting those initiatives and knowing that your dollars that you're you're giving to the aquarium to come in and learn and come in and enjoy and smile and be happy are going towards some a very directed programs that, that are going to move us in the right direction. Thank you to Brett for taking the time to talk with us about Aquarium of the Pacific's conservation projects. Please either visit Aquarium of the Pacific when you're in town or consider donating to help them recover local wildlife and habitats. Visit them at aquariumofpacific.org to see how you can help. Hosts and producers are Austin and Taylor Parker. Producer is Madeline Walden. Music was provided by a picture book studio. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you want to help. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.